One spring Saturday afternoon, during my fifth grade year, the phone rang. My mom answered and then held the phone to me. For all you kids, teenagers, I mean, really, people in their 20s, this is what the phones were like back then. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. So, so my mom answered, and she held the phone to me, and she said, some girl wants to talk to you. I understood her tone immediately because this was really unusual. <laughs> like, it had never happened before. So back in the day, if you wanted privacy, you had to stretch this cord as far as it would go. And so I did that, and I stretched it into the pantry, closed the door, and then said, hello. Definitely had that much bass in my voice in fifth grade. So um, as a side note, though, if there was ever a year in which I was approaching the category of cool, fifth grade was it. It was 1988. I was riding high on a pretty mean Axl Rose impersonation. It wasn't an 11-year-old in sight who could do it like me. But I digress. I pulled the cord into the pantry, closed the door behind me. I say hello. The voice on the other end belongs to Casey. Now, she sweeps right past the pleasantries, and she cuts to the chase. You see, Casey was asked by Jamie to ask me if I wanted to ask Jamie to go with me. That's what we called it back then, so those of you who are like age 42 to 47 will know what that means. Going with. Do you want to go with Jamie, she asked. I said, sure. <laughs> she said, great. I got off the phone as quickly as possible, and like any fifth grade boy, I promptly forgot all about it. But then... Then, on Monday morning, something terrible happened. I got to school, and I was going with Jamie. This was horrible. She was always trying to be around me. She kept asking what I was doing that Friday night. I pretty much spent that week avoiding Jamie at all costs. I was terrified that she might want to hold hands. And maybe in the world of hand-holding, she would not be a pancake person, which is the right way, but instead she'd be a waffler. Oh, gross. Stop the train. I want to get off. Well, this may come as a shock, but we broke up about four days later. <laughs> At least I think we did. I don't actually remember having a conversation about it, so it's a, little, it's a little hard to say. The point is, though, sometimes we, we make a decision, we get ourselves into something, and then we're shocked and deeply uncomfortable with what we've gotten ourselves into. And I wonder... I wonder if following Jesus might feel like that sometimes. I'm a Christian, 
wait, what do you mean we're the only ones who are saved? I'm a Christian, and now I have to think every other person of every other faith is not going to heaven? I'm not so sure about this. I'm a Christian, and now I have to hold hands with people who believe that? Stop the train. I want to get off. Today, we are concluding our sermon series, Do I Have to Believe That? This time, we're asking, Is Jesus Christ the Only Way? Our scripture reading um, is the go-to text for that assumption that people make, John chapter 14. But before we read this text, I'll invite us to bow our heads in a word of prayer. Christ in our eyes, that we might see correctly. Christ in our mind, that we might understand shrouded mysteries. Christ in our heart, that we might be filled with the most expansive love of all. Amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Zero sum game. Are you familiar with the concept? If you win, it is necessarily at the expense of another. The resources in play are static. No amount of teamwork or negotiation will enlarge the share so that all may benefit. Zero-sum games are by nature games of conflict, winners and losers, victory and defeat. You know, it seems to me that religion is too often presented as a zero-sum game, except that instead of points, it's eternal salvation that's at stake. 
And there's only so much to go around. And if you do not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you will lose. Now, I imagine that line of thinking might feel off to many of you. Like there's something inherently not Christ-like about that. And if that's true, if so, let me first say that I am glad you are still here. Because of all the questions we've wrestled with in this series, this is the one that I find repels people from church the most. I cannot say how many times I've heard someone say, I just cannot get on board with that exclusive claim to salvation. The thought of Jesus being the only way when I encounter so many wonderful people of all different faiths or no faith at all, man, I just can't do it. And so they do their best impression of a fifth grade breakup. They quietly disengage. They avoid church at all costs because they want nothing to do with that kind of smug certainty. Now, oftentimes, those, those same people, and perhaps many of you in this room, will invoke a more generous metaphor to describe the different faith traditions. It's the, the mountain with many paths to the top. You've heard of this before. God is the mountain peak. All those who hunger to encounter God must climb. But there are numerous paths to take up that same mountain. No one path is better than the other. They all get you to the same place. Now, I know that at the heart of this metaphor is respect for all people, all faith traditions, and that is a very, very good thing. And it can just as easily become an excuse to pick no path in particular. Assuming all the paths will get you to the same mountaintop, you do still have to choose one. Standing at the base of the mountain, honoring all paths will not help you or your family get any closer to encountering God. Now I say, I add your family, because most often I experience this, this hesitancy with claiming a particular faith. I, I experience that coming out in parenting decisions. I don't want to make my son or my daughter go to church because I want them to choose their own Sophia Cavaletti is a religious author. She's studied the faith formation of children. And when it comes to children, she argues that specificity makes all the difference. You cannot teach a child a vague spirituality. They need a specific faith. Cavaletti writes, wishing to keep religion on a vague level without any specific content is the same as wanting a child to talk without using any particular language. It will not work. So if in the spirit of honoring all faiths, we fail to offer them a specific faith, we actually deny that child the opportunity to become spiritually literate. Today we're honoring Kim. McNeil for the 15 years she served the youth of this church. She has been a consistent companion for our young people along their own journey of faith, but Kim has most certainly formed our young people in the Christian faith. 
She has been unafraid to talk about Jesus. She has minced to no words when saying that Christ demands your highest allegiance. Just last week, Kim stood behind the table here leading worship, and she recounted one of the many late-night conversations she had with a young person who was wrestling with those deeper questions of what it means to believe we are forgiven. And throughout her long and faithful tenure here at UPC, Kim has given our young people a specific language and has encouraged them to follow a specific path up the mountain. She has consistently pointed them to Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Kim has done all of that without turning our young people onto some exclusivist, zero-sum game, salvation-is-only-for-Christians mindset. She has given them Jesus, and she has given them kindness and respect for all God's people. Friends, these two are not mutually exclusive. Some, some might say you cannot hold these two together at the same time. Preacher, Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You cannot get around that one. Seems pretty clear to me that Jesus is the only way to be saved. To which I would say, yeah, you know, you're right. Jesus does say, I am the way, but let the man finish his sentence. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, the Father, except through me. Why must we assume Jesus is talking about salvation here? Why must we impose upon this text our obsession with zero-sum games about who goes to heaven and who does not? What if Jesus is talking about something else altogether? What if Jesus is getting specific about the Christian path? A number of years ago, I had this privilege of participating in this wonderful Christian-Muslim small group. Bilal was the imam at a local mosque, and he would cook breakfast every other Monday and invite a handful of pastors and over eggs and olives, crusty bread and baba ganoush, we became good friends. And we discussed our holy texts with one another. Now, I imagine we must have been discussing this text from John because I can distinctly remember asking, Bilal, in Islam, is there any sense that God is like a father? And Bilal smiled and he said, in Islam... Allah is God most high. God is completely set apart from everything human. So no, we do not think of God as a father. But I know, I know that's different in Christianity, that divinity and humanity get mingled together in Jesus and that he called God Abba, father, and so you do as well. Bilal always understood Christianity far better than I understood Islam. But he wasn't wrong at all. This is all over the Gospel of John from the very beginning. 
few weeks back on Christmas Eve, we read these words from the prologue of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a few verses later, it reads, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Children who have a father. From the very beginning, John offers this as the statement of purpose. Jesus is here to make us all children of God. That's the end game. Not heaven, not salvation. It's about the family of God becoming whole. Bilal and I are friends. The way the Muslim faith animates who he is as a human being is beautiful. And it is very different from my path. I can have immense respect for Bilal and for Islam, and I can celebrate what makes Christianity distinct and different and equally beautiful. So back to the question at hand, do I have to believe that Jesus is the only way? Well, no. And yes. No, Christianity is not the only way to experience the divine. Other faith traditions are worthy of our respect. No, we do not need to make assumptions about the eternal souls of those who find their way within those traditions. But also, yes. Jesus is the way to the Father. Yes, Jesus invites us to the truth that we are forgiven, that we are freed from a lifetime of regret. Yes, Jesus invites us into the only life that matters, one of service and sacrifice. Yes, Jesus invites us to know God as a loving parent, who would never be content to wait for you at the top of some mountain until you can get there on your own. And yes, Jesus invites us to imagine God as the one who mingles divinity with humanity, a parent who rushes down to meet you at the head of the trail, who promises to be your companion along every twist and turn of the path, sometimes leading sometimes following, sometimes carrying us, but always by our side. And yes, Jesus is the one who shows us that God's love is more expansive than we could ever hope or imagine. All of that, all of that is what makes the Christian path distinct and different and beautiful. It may not be for everybody. It does not have to be for everybody. But it is the path for me. What about you?